I want to share with you uh, a few scriptures under the title of A Warnings of the Times to Come. Um, most of you know that I have a, a small international uh, place of service ministry called Semilla. And that, that um, brings me into contact with leaders from about 18, 20 nations on a regular basis, Christian leaders. Um, and in um, these days when the information, the information age, so much news and so many, uh, uh, so much information inundates us, in my case, I have, I receive news all the time from these places where they are. And so I'm in touch, I'm aware of what is happening, who is in jail, who is suffering, who's, all kinds of things. So uh, of necessity, I pay attention to the times in which we live. I read the same press that you do, and, uh, but I meditate on it from uh, the perspective that the Lord has given to me. And so I want to begin by reading from Second Thessalonians, um, the second chapter, uh, a hard passage. Um, ben, you won't have to preach this one for a while because uh, some of the commentaries say that it is the hardest passage of Scripture. I don't know if it is so, um, but it is uh, a hard word. Not a hard word to us, but a hard word about what it paints because it pulls the veil back uh, in that great separation uh, that the Lord began at the very beginning of his word. And it shows the warfare that goes on there all the time. You know, the Bible is not written chronologically to us, but it is... Um, interspace, the times are changed. And so um, there is a, a testimony uh, in, in the scripture uh, about in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 14, and also in Ezekiel 28, which is set in eternity uh, undateable where there is a war in heaven and where a spirit arises against the Lord and attempts to establish his throne above the stars of God, the angels, and proclaims that he will be equal to the Most High God. That's the beginning of a war. It begins in eternity. But it suffuses also time where we live uh, in this age. And so this passage by the Apostle Paul um, to the Thessalonians um, reads like this. Let no one deceive you in any way. It's a warning against deception. For that day, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's coming, the day that every Christian waits for, um, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the men of lawlessness is revealed, 
the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, says Paul to his uh, readers, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. See, only those that are perishing are deceived because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Well, as you can see, this passage talks about uh, an, a future event uh, that shows us how this cosmic war, I don't know what else to call it, uh, ends, the conclusion of it. Um, it shows us that it is a war for the throne. Um, in other words, who will rule? Who has the right to rule? That is what the battle is about. This is especially poignant in our day where decisions about who has the right to rule, us, humanity, all of it, um, is being debated right before our eyes. Um, it involves uh, a war between this creature, this personage called the men of lawlessness, men of sin, in, appropriately in other translations, um, the lawless one, and this other entity, uh, we don't know if angelic or the Holy Spirit himself, that retains him, restrains him, uh, does not allow him to have free reign to destroy, which is the purpose for Satan, the destroyer, to uh, steal and kill and destroy. Um, about that passage in Isaiah, I remember that it says, How are you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? And then um, it describes how he was thrown, cast down to earth. And it names the place. It says we find him in Eden. This is, so the clues line up with what we read in the scripture. Eden, the garden of the Lord that he planted for Adam, his son. Uh, and then we uh, read in Revelations at the very end of the scriptures that the great dragon is hurled down 
that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, clearly named, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels, that one-third of the angels that followed him, uh, with him. Now, we are not to fear. This is not about fear. It's about warning, soberness. Watch out. Because Jesus gave us power over all the power of the enemy. In fact, in the very same uh, sermon, when Jesus tells us that he saw Satan fall like lightning, he also says, I'll give you power over serpents and scorpions. So, fear not. This isn't. We do not fear him because as uh, Martin Luther writes in, in his great uh, song, a little word by the breath of his mouth will slay him. So, uh, let's be at peace. Now, you know the story. In Eden, the serpent deceived the woman, Eve, and induced her to invite Adam to rebel against God. And God had listened to that temptation and surrendered his rulership that he had been given over the earth and everything in it. And that thereby he surrendered to Satan that rulership. That's how he became the prince of this world. Um, I'm not quoting every scripture because I believe that to uh, biblically trained ears uh, we recognize what is the scripture. Now, when God declared war on Satan after that event on the serpent, he declared war between the seeds. His seed, with a capital S, Jesus, the seed of God, and the descendants of Satan himself. Now, Satan doesn't reproduce, but sin does. And so, all the unbelievers who resist the grace of God are the seed of Satan. So, um, the, uh, the seed of God, Jesus, um, is leading the church in every age, generation after generation. Uh, until today, I think I have been the oldest person in this congregation. Uh, and so the generations succeed, and those beautiful little children in the nursery and this flock that left here, they are the church of tomorrow. You are going to leave the church to them and others like them. Uh, in the Lord's timing, he knows our time. Um, now, uh, the word that Jesus declares, that God Almighty declares against Satan, first in heaven, then in Eden, is a war for the thrones. Uh, how do we know? Well, because the book said so. Um, we read, for example, in Psalm 2, a passage that reminds me of the news regularly these days because it says, the kings of the nations 
gather against the Lord and his anointed. And we are seeing nation after nation, king after king, declaring themselves in opposition to God's most fundamental laws, life. The life he conceives in wounds, the rulers of nation after nation. This is happening in Latin America. We used to be all you know, monolithically Catholic, but no longer. And so now uh, abortion is being legalized and other abominations as well uh, in nation after nation. This is what Psalm 2 alludes to. Uh, there has always been unrighteous rulers. It's true. But we didn't know it because we didn't have the means of communication that we now have. So we know who is saying what and doing what. Um, and then we also know that the war is for the thrones because in Revelation, uh, in chapter 11 of Revelation, verse 15, uh, the final angel, the seventh angel after the trumpet, declares uh, Christ's ultimate victory. And this is the way he puts it. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Some translations put it in plural. plural. Kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. And he will rule forever and ever. So, this war for the thrones is going to end with the enemy utterly defeated. Uh, we read that in Revelation chapter 20. It says, uh, the devil who had deceived them, see the deception again, alert, deception, on the way, Massive deception to the masses. The devil who had deceived them will be thrown into the lake of fire to join the beast and the false prophet. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Christ will rule forever and ever. They will be condemned forever and ever. That is a parallelism. Now, we do not know the date. The disciples were interested. The first Christians uh, were interested. The apostles uh, asked Jesus, when shall these things be? And he says, it's not for you to know. It's still not for us to know. In fact, an amazing statement from Jesus. He says, no one knows, not the angels, not even the Son of Man. Jesus is in his incarnation as a human, did not know. Well, um, if he didn't then, we definitely don't need to be asking ourselves and uh, adding up years and uh, doing the things that churchmen, people of goodwill, uh, just maybe uh, too curious, has spent a lot of time and written books and um, made a lot of efforts 
to determine and to proclaim uh, the year of our Lord, when it will be the day of his coming. It's not for us to know. I, you know, the, those who need to know, no doubt will know. Uh, but this is not us yet. And so I'm not uh, going to attempt any, any such things. Um, now, Paul, in, in, in this very letter of Second Thessalonians, warns the Thessalonians not to worry about this. Um, however, even though we cannot know uh, the day specifically, we do take heed, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, to take heed and watch the times. And so I want to shift uh, to a meditation with you based on your knowledge on what you already know up until now uh, of a, con- a brief contemplation of the times. So I would like to go over uh, Matthew 24, just a few verses, kind of an enumeration uh, of things. Um, Jesus said uh, that we will hear wars and rumors of war. Well, it's very coincidental that every day we're hearing uh, of an impending imminent war. But I think God is talking about something else, not necessarily what we hear in the news today, but something uh, in a different context. He says, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Um, now, from the time of Cain and Abel, there has been war on the earth. Wars are uh, continual. Uh, a, Ber- a Berkeley professor I once pre- uh, befriended, he told me, in any given moment, you're going to find about 50 shooting wars. Uh, going on. Uh, so war is a continual reality when you look at humanity as a whole. Here or there or in some other place, wars will occur. But there is a certain kind of war that is beginning to occur now, which has a different flavor than most wars. Most wars are the result of misunderstandings, ambitions, egos, uh, you know, ze- jealousy, um, bullying, just a normal, carnal uh, um, sins of rulers who have the power to lead their people to war. Um, those are the regular wars. But there are wars now that resemble more uh, Psalm 2. The kings of the nations, the rulers, banding together against Christ and God, his anointed, the anointed of God. Um, and so there are alliances of nations that are imperiously attempting to impose on other nations uh, abominable laws. This is what's happened in Latin America in the last decade. 
my field of ministry, um, multilateral organizations made up of many nations, uh, like the UN or our regional organization of American states, have been insisting and imposing and uh, trying to force our leaders, our governments, to um, enact these ungodly laws. And so, of course, the, the, the people of God are reacting and saying, no, we don't want to do that. You don't get the reports, but Cuba is having things that it has not had for the 50, 60 years of the regime. Uh, and it's the Christians that are <laughs> causing those problems for the government uh, because they just don't want to live under not only the lack of freedom, but these terrible laws about abortion and family and divorce and all these uh, things. They're waking up, the church, not only in Cuba, in every other country of Latin America as well. I, you know, in, in a matter of three weeks, I will be with hundreds of them in Guatemala because the president of this little tiny banana republic, as he has been called, because they grew a lot of bananas in their time, Guatemala has decided to turn his nation's laws, all of them, 99 different laws, in the defense of life and family. And then he signed an international document that 35 nations signed in the last days of a previous administration here in the U.S., called the Geneva Consensus, saying there is no right to abortion. So see, the nations are banding together to protect God's principles, while other nations are banding together to erase those principles. It's happening. Some, too, right there. That's just one incident. I'm not saying, you know, God is coming tomorrow. No, he is coming. He knows when he's coming. You know, we're eager for his coming. But uh, I'm just saying the Bible is true. And what Jesus says, that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, not just for ambition, not just for money or more territory or women, the typical causes of uh, wars, but on the basis of who has the right to occupy the throne, who is the ruler. That is what's happening. And before I leave, I want you to know those things. Uh, it's what the Lord put in my heart to, to alert you. And of course, famines and earthquakes, those have always existed and are, will continue to exist now. And then they shall deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is the coming time. And it's not far away. The rumors of it, if you wish, the echoes of it are reaching our shores, our borders. Uh, and it is a sobering word. But imagine the power of God that is reserved to keep you when that time comes, you have Stephen as the example. 
Here are the rocks flying his way. And he's not even paying attention to them except to, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And instead he sees the heavenly vision. One like the Son of Man sitting in the heavens. Now that's God's power and ability to be with us in those trials. So fear not. Uh, And here comes another negative. Many will fall away. That is painful. And betray one another. And hate one another. Um, We need the power of God to protect our hearts in these coming times. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness is all around us. You experience the same things that I do and read the same reports and watch the same news, how lawlessness is taking root all around us. It's very vivid to me as a foreigner because I came to this nation some 54 years ago and it was another nation. It's not the same nation I came to. Lawlessness is taking root, especially among the young. It is tragic uh, to see what is happening, but not only, of course, among the young. But then comes the word of hope. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we are already saved. They will be saved from the terror in which they will be living. And that wonderful verse from Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom. See, it's the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just the gospel of salvation, which it is. It's not just the gospel of grace, which it is. But it's the gospel of who will rule. <laughs> it's a kingdom. A kingdom is not a church. It's a government. The government that shall rest upon his shoulders who has the right to. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then will the end come. So we have a a whole revelation from the Lord to meditate upon, to be sobered about, to be alert about. Uh, Because little signs of those things are happening very near us, increasingly so. Um, So, lawlessness is 
growing on the earth. And the antidote of lawlessness is love. Because due to the increase of lawlessness, the love of many were called. So, what is the antidote? Hot love. <laughs> Made hot by the Holy Spirit. The hottest of all. Flames of fire is how he chose to appear to the church for the first, first time. And so, brethren, um, I am so privileged to have been part of you for this 28 years. Two-thirds of our saved uh, walk with Diana. We have experienced much, much, much love among you. We've experienced your patience. We've experienced your forgiveness. We've experienced your endurance. Uh, and we have experienced your faithfulness. How edifying it is to gather regularly, constantly, uh, week after week, and year after year. Even after we moved away three years ago, you know, it was so potent, so powerful. It was love who made us come back every week and, you know, travel those long distances and afford those costs. Um, Love is what God desires from us. Love is what he gives to us. So it's not a question of working really hard. It's a question of releasing ourselves to the love of God, to allow him to flow us up <laughs> like in an inundation, to grow in love as the wickedness around us sometimes very near us, sometimes in our very own home, increases the darkness. So the light, in contrast, becomes brighter. And so we need to cling to the Lord and release ourselves to the Lord so that he may catapult us into that level of love that he's able to produce in us. It is unfathomable. There is no end to the amount of love you're capable of. There is no end because there is no end to God. How much can you release to the Lord? Well, that's as much as he will take over and surprise you and amaze you. Um, there are so many stories that rush to my mind right now where I have seen him do things that were absolutely improbable. But I remember last time I saw my mother. Um, we had gone to visit uh, in Uruguay. And um, I gathered the family as we were leaving. The suitcases packed and ready to go out the door. So the, f the whole extended family gathered together. And I invited them to pray. And we held hands. And I had in mind a prayer that I had been waiting for and preparing in my heart for a long time. Uh, and instead of that prayer, I heard myself say, I want to ask for your forgiveness. 
frankly, that is the same prayer I want to pray today. Because I know I have fallen short among you many, many times. I cannot even know all the times. There's too many. Um, And as an elder, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. Here sit my fellow elders all around me. Uh, None of us is sufficient for these things. That's what the apostles said. And Jesus didn't deny them. Didn't say, oh, no. He said, you're right. With men, it is impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. So, as the wickedness, as the men of lawlessness, as the spirit of lawlessness, because we know from John that there are many antichrists and then that there is an antichrist with a capital A coming. The scripture is that way, veils so many things in these artifices. But uh, as wickedness and lawlessness touches us, in our homes, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, the extended family. Uh, Love is God's remedy. Love is God's refuge for us. We hide in him. And from that hiding place, then we release ourselves to him to do whatever it is he would have us do. And he will have us do many bold and crazy things. Uh, Here we're all sitting quietly and well-behaved. But in the fields where God is at work wrestling souls from hell, uh, it gets messy at times. It also gets sweet, of course. But let me tell you, um, that uh, the warfare involves blood and tears and sweat. Um, it's the nature of the animal. Uh, I had a mind to talk more about some of the specific wickedness that we are seeing, I don't think it's necessary. I think the Lord uh, amply is able to fill in the blanks for each of you according to your own knowledge, to your own conscience, to your own acquaintances, friends, companions. So I think I'm going to jump to the last scripture, if you would help me. Um, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. 
And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is one of those costly verses of the scripture. Uh, It is natural. It is God-given in us that we should try to to make a life, (laughs) to find a life. Young people are looking for how are they going to find a life for themselves. Um, It is proper. But for that natural impulse in us to seize us and control us and become more important than the life with capital L, the true life, the eternal life, uh, that is a grave error. And so I think that is what Jesus is... uh, warning us against uh, is to cling to the things of this world to our retirement as an old man (laughs) to our career uh, to our friends even to our spouses which are temporary for this world only or for our children, which are entrusted to us so that we may bring them up for him, for the one who gave them to us uh, on loan to love them. Our spouses, the same thing, to love them on his behalf, not just on our own. And so... If we cling to these things uh, and refuse to embrace the pain, the cross, the unpleasantness, the difficulty, the hardships, the trials that come with our daily life, be it sickness, disappointment, offense, boredom, all kinds of trials, uh, says Jesus, his hard words, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So, as a parting word to my friends, fellow church members, uh, people I love, I enjoy seeing every Sunday when we gather here, Uh, I want to leave this word with you. Let's be ready to lose our life for his sake. Crazily, suicidally. But for his sake, let's invest our life for his glory. It's the very best thing that we can do. There is no better option to do with the youth, with the vigor, with the health, with the years, with the life, with the money, with the talents, with the love. There's nothing better we can do with our lives than invest them for his glory.